Amen. Well, sorry you get the Jared show today, but um, thank you for being here. We're going to open up the Word of God here and get uh, Galatians chapter 4 uh, is where we're going to be at. We're going to finish Galatians 4 from a couple of weeks ago. I was able to go out of town um, to see Brother Dick down there in Las Vegas after the passing of his wife and able to hang out with him. He's doing well. I'm happy to report that uh, uh, he's got a, a loving church family around him. He's supporting him and lifting him up. He's with his, his son, and they're all doing very well. So I'm uh, grateful uh, for that opportunity to go see him and to give them, him a hug for the church family, and he wanted me to make sure to let everyone know that he misses you all terribly and loves you and and uh, and continues to pray for us. So he's doing well, and um, thank you for praying for him and uh, all those that are, are uh, struggling right now. It's... Uh, it's quite the time, but uh, thank God we have we have the the truth of the the gospel that this isn't this isn't the end, right? This is just the the pilgrim's pathway to get through to what God has purchased for us in Christ Jesus, and that's an eternity with Him. So, if you have your books, Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Galatians four. We're going to just read the next uh, ten verses, and then we'll we'll go to the Lord and ask the Lord to to bless us with uh, with what He has for us. This morning, Galatians chapter four, verse 21, the word of the Lord says this, tell me you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through the promise. These things are being taken figuratively. For the women represents, women represents two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. And this is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless women, Unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are without, who are not in labor for the children of the desolate woman will be many. More numerous than those of the women, woman who has a husband. Verse 28 says this, now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you. Uh, just humbled, Lord, that we uh, stand here, sit here this, this morning, Lord, with this, uh, this knowledge that you've revealed to you, us in Scripture, that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you. You've made a way for us to be forgiven of our, of our guilt of uh, the sin that we have committed, Lord, and um, violation of what you've revealed of who you are. You've made a way, God, through Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that we can have relationship with you again through him that you can be our 
truly our, our father, that we can be adopted into your family. We're so thankful for that, God. We're thankful for the scriptures that you promised to preserve for us and where we can delve into and see what you've done in, in history, Lord, how you've revealed your redemptive plan through Christ. And we are so thankful for this letter written to the Galatian churches, Father, that allows us to see the importance of claiming and believing and trusting in the true gospel and the true Jesus, Lord, and, and denying all of the things that present themselves as such but are false. And, uh, Father, we're just thankful, most of all, for the liberty that the gospel has given to us, that it has nothing to do with our righteousness, how good we can be, but it has everything to do with what Christ has done on our account. We praise you and thank you, Lord, for your goodness and demonstrated in Christ. And we ask it in his precious name that you would be with us and guide us in all that we read and talk about today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have the tale of two sons. So this is uh, the last half that we kind of missed a week. So we're going to just have to try to remind you a little bit on what's going on. Uh, uh, this Paul is writing to these churches in Galatia where they, Paul had gone on his missionary journey, established these churches, preached the gospel, that salvation is found through believing and trusting in Christ's redemptive work alone and uh, abandoning, repenting from, turning from, uh, trying to do it in our own way, our own religious ways, and trusting in Christ and him, him alone. He, he established those churches. He, he went on, and then he hears about these, these Judaizers, these false teachers who would come in and begin to say, you not only need Jesus, but you also need to hold to the Mosaic law. You need to be circumcised, you Gentiles, and you need to do all these things. And so they begin adding law back to the uh, gospel of grace. And Paul writes this letter to 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 sternly warn them. And ultimately, it's the Spirit of God using Paul to write this to the church of Galatia, but ultimately preserving this letter for us some 2,000 years later so that we can see and we can be warned of our need to hold fast to the true gospel. And the dangers it is to entertain uh, adding things to what Jesus has done, self-righteous things that we can do. It's so dangerous, and we see the, Paul's language in this letter demonstrating that. But what Paul does, he spends these first four chapters uh, in defense of the gospel of grace, and he, he shows and demonstrates. He's like, look, these guys have come in and said you need to follow the Mosaic law. Why did God give you the law if you're not supposed to, if he never intended you to follow it, they're probably saying. And he writes this masterful argument that says, look, it doesn't depend on the law. It's always dependent on a covenant God made that preceded the law through the law of Abraham some 400 years earlier. And so God, or Paul uses this opportunity to write in defense that, look, that was never a reason. God never gave us the Mosaic law so we can keep it to earn our favor, earn our merit back with God. Ultimately, God gave us the law of the children of Israel, the law to demonstrate his true holiness, how separate we are and how desperately we need a savior when it comes down to it. How desperately we need Messiah's, Christ's righteousness, <clears throat> And not our own. And so he goes on to, to argue and he finishes this argument. And so next week, I just want you to hold on with me because next week we're going to start getting practical. What all this is, right? The first four chapters is a defense of why it is by grace through faith that we have salvation and not through the works of the law. But next week, when we begin chapter five, it begins to get very practical. So how can we live for Christ 
what are we to do? What, what are the laws that we are to follow? Um, if we're not saved by the law, what, how does the law play out in our, in, our, in, our, in our lives? If God wants us to be more like Christ, aren't we supposed to keep rules? All that stuff's going to begin to be unfolded beginning in Galatians chapter 5. But Paul ends this, this, uh, our, his argument here with one more illustration, actually two more illustrations we're going to cover today from the Old Testament. See what Paul's doing, he's writing the defense and he's appealing to the Old Testament. He's saying, look, this has always been God's plan. It has always been through the promises of Abraham, not through the Mosaic law. And he's going to give some more uh, Old Testament uh, scriptures to back up his argument. And so we see here in verse 21, the tale of two sons, all the way back in Genesis. And he says there in verse 21, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? He's like, you really want to be back under the law? Don't you hear what it demands of you? He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through a promise or through the promise. And so he's talking about Genesis chapter 16. So if you want to follow me along, you can turn to Genesis 16, 1 through 6 is where we're going to be at. This is the account that Paul's referring to. This is Abraham. His, his Abraham, right, it was chosen by God to come, and, and, and we, you can follow that along. I don't want to get too far into the, into the other details of the story, but he's ultimately chosen by God. And so remember, he's given the Abrahamic promise that through him, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. All of them will be able to have and participate in God and with God, his redemptive plan. It won't just be the Jews, but for all kindreds, nations, and tongues, and it'll be through the promise given to Abraham. So Abraham plays a major role, and then he promises that his offspring will be like the sand and the sea and the stars at the sky. But yet his wife Sarah can't bear children. How is this promise to be? And Genesis 16 talks to us about that, or reveals this historical account of what, what happened here. Abraham, Abram's wife Sarah had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So God had already given him the promise. And so their, their, their mission in life was to trust God in spite of the circumstances. Often what we have to do, this is the walk of faith that Christians do, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what's going on around us, we have to trust God that what he has promised, he will fulfill. So Abraham's given this promise. It was going to be through Sarah that this seed would be, would be multiplied, but yet Sarah is unable to bear children, and Abraham is very old. And so we look at what Sarah and Abraham do. They decide to help God out. Have you ever been there? Things aren't operating on your time schedule. God, I know God wants this. So he's, this is good. So I, 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 think, I think this is the way, right? Instead of just holding and letting God work in his time and trusting God, that's what he calls us to. Sarah says, take my slave. Maybe perhaps the child will come through her because it was a legal thing for them to do. 
back in that time, something that our culture may not understand, but it was okay back then. And so they go on. So Abraham's wife, Sarah, took Hagar from Egyptian, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband. Abraham was, or Abram was a wife, as a, Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. So they waited for 10 years, and then they took matters in their own hands. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Imagine that. A wife being jealous of another woman. So it was her idea, but when the reality flushed out, it just causes trouble and angst in the family. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you're responsible for my suffering. <laughs> I put my slave in your arms, and when she, she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. So she was contemptible with, with Hagar, the slave, but her words say, no, she be, you know, I'm contemptible to her now. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abraham replied to Sarah, here your slave here, your slave is in your power. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. And so God calls Hagar back with the child. And God promises Hagar uh, that she too, her nation would be, uh, or, her, or her seed would, would, would be fruitful and multiply. And so uh, he calls uh, Hagar back to be under her control. And then ultimately here, we fast forward in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived uh, she's talking to Hagar now, and will have a son, and you're, you will name him Ishmael. So this is the slave's son. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. The man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are uh, El Roy. For she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. Verse 14, then that is why the well is called uh, Bir La Roi. It is between Kadesh and Bariad. So this is an historical account that's given historical indicators for us. So Hagar gave birth to Abraham's son, and Abraham named his son, um, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And so we have the birth of Ishmael. And this, right, God promised that it would be through Sarah. And they took matters into their hands. And so now, if you follow the Old Testament out, you'll see the, the, the Israelites and the Ishmaelites constantly clashing. And I feel bad because we, we're all there, right? We have all have done this. I would hope that we'd all admit that we, we take matters into our own hands. Instead of just trusting that God is a sovereign God. That God has saved you and adopted into his family. And he's, he's going, not going to allow anything into your life that he hasn't, uh, isn't in charge of. And the fact that we can rest in that and take comfort in knowing that he's our father who knows us. And he's given us promises that even though we don't understand as we look around with our eyes what's going on, we too are called to a life of faith trusting that he was promised is faithful. And we, we have, uh, all can probably testify to the fact that when we take matters in our own hands, right, it just ends up being more, con- uh, more complicated than it needed to be. 
So that's a good lesson for us right there. Trusting in God. But Ishmael is born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And then we fast forward. There's lots, lots of uh, that story as you read Genesis uh, 12 through 22 about Abraham and Sarah and all those things. But ultimately, God fulfills his promise given to Sarah in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. God fulfills his promise, church. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and, and the Lord did for Sarah for what he had promised Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and God, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. Rejoicing that God has fulfilled his promise. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? (laughs) Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. So God ultimately fulfills the promise, but now Abraham has two offspring. Ishmael, from the flesh, humans trying to help God out, and then ultimately Isaac, from the spirit, the promise fulfilled by our God. And so we, that's just, this is the background, this is the story that God is using for us, or that Paul is using to apply a deeper meaning to it, an allegory of sorts. And so we first see here that Hagar, the slave woman, is, represents the law. Now Hagar, Hagar represents Mount Sinai. That's where Moses was given the Ten Commandments in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. The, the Jerusalem at that time, they were all under the law. And so in Jerusalem, in the temple, that was all representation of the law. And so that Jerusalem at that present time represented in, in what Paul is writing here, being under the law. And then he goes on to say, but the Jerusalem above, he's writing to a people who, who are, have already are considering going back to the law. And he's calling them to the higher meaning of what God has done through Christ. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free. And she is our mother. The Jerusalem that is from above. There, there's other places in scripture that talks about this Jerusalem that is from above, this heavenly Jerusalem in Hebrews 12, 22, says this, Instead, you have, become, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels and, and, and festive gathering. So the writer of Hebrews is pointing to this heavenly Jerusalem, this Jerusalem that is to come, and Revelation talks about this New Jerusalem that is to come, that is, is wound up and, and, and at the end of all times, the, the, when the, everyone will be judged and, and uh, the new heaven and the new earth come down out of heaven, that'll be the dwelling place. We see it here in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the end of the story, right? We, we already know how all this is going to play out. 
and this is, this is the end for those who trust and are in Christ, who, who have encountered Jesus in the Savior and have seen their need to turn from their own doings and trust in Christ's accomplished work, be adopted into God's family. This is your future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling place is with humanity. And he will live with them. And they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. That is what Christ has purchased for us. That is our future that awaits us. That is the hope that we have in this life, of the life that is promised by God, who he who promised is faithful. It will be a reality. And so Paul says, look, the first Hagar, that represents the law, the, the Jerusalem there, over there in Israel, under the temple, under the law, that's all under bondage, under the slavery of the law. But those who are in Christ have a new Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem that awaits them. And then Paul not only references this story in Genesis, but then he goes on in verse 27 to reference a, a, prophet, a, a prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah 54.1 is where this can be found. So again, he's appealing to them as to why they need to repent and turn from thinking that they need to add the law to what Christ has done and trust in Christ alone. Isaiah 54.1 says this, For it is written, Rejoice, childless women, woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. So Paul uses this opportunity to, as a, an apostle of God to, to take a, a prophecy written in Isaiah and apply it here to this promise given to Abraham that through Sarah, the promise of the many children, even though she was desolate at that time, God ultimately fulfilled the promise. So he again appeals to scripture for them to trust that the gospel he has proclaimed is what God has indeed revealed. He goes on to say to us, now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, were children of the promise. Through Isaac, Isaac was born and through his lineage, right? comes the Messiah. God fulfills his promise that we are partakers of today. But just as the children born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as the result of the spirit, so also now. So he's saying, look, just as if you follow the history of, of Ishmael and Isaac, you'll see constant conflict between those two guys and to their offspring. They're, Ishmael brought persecution upon Isaac. And so Paul's now taking his, his allegory and he's drawing an application to these churches and ultimately to us that even so, we too, children of the promise, will be persecuted. We will be uh, bothered by the things of the world, by the, by the things of the flesh. We'll be uh, given false teachings that 
Yes, you need Jesus, but you need to add things to it. There's an adversary who desires to change what God has done or, or trick people into believing something differently. Deceive people, I should say. And so he's warning them, look, these people that have come in, these are, these are a representation of the, of the old way, of the, of the law of bondage. And they're persecuting you. They're not allowing you to just trust in Christ. And so he says, so also now, the things of the flesh, the world, won't just leave us alone. So also now. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. So what is he saying here? Drive out. The scripture says that if you follow that Genesis, God ultimately tells Abraham to drive out the slave and the son away from their family because they're not the, they're not the product of his promise. They're a product of the flesh. And so he asks him or tells him, drive them out. So what does that mean for us? I think there's a couple things that we can take away this morning for us to, to apply. I think the first thing is, is we have to understand that we can't, we can't just um, placate to the flesh. Right? We can't, we can't train the flesh. We can't do enough good things to ultimately kill this heart of flesh that's in us, right? When we're born, the first time we're born of the spirit or born of the flesh, we're born in this, uh, this separated instance of, uh, against God and in a sinful state. And when we're saved, we're, we're given a, a new creation. We're made a new creation in Christ. But the, and ultimately, there's going to come a point when that old flesh, that old heart will be put to death and we'll just have our new heart that God has given us in salvation. But those of us who are alive and remain right now, we are battling two, there's a battle going inside of us. Our two hearts are battling. The heart of the flesh, the heart of the spirit. And so the application for us, I think, is we can't, we have to know we can't train the old heart to do better. It's called behavior modification. It doesn't work. It's the flesh. It's like a, that game, that, Whack-a-mole game. You know what I'm talking about? Where you a mole, go to the arcade and a mole sticks up out of a hole and you have a little thumper and you hit it. You know, you hit, hit it down, but then another one pops up. That's the our flesh, heart of flesh. It's going to produce. It wants to produce fruit in our lives, the fruit of the flesh that Paul's going to talk about in Galatians chapter 5. And, and we can work and go as fast as we can and knocking those things down as they appear up, but it's just always going to be there. But God has given us a heart of the Spirit. Given us a new heart. And so Paul's telling us we can't, we can't just um, placate to it. We can't train the heart of the flesh. We ultimately need to allow the Spirit of God to transform us from the inside out. To feed that new heart. As we look to God, cling to God, walk with God. Allow His his uh, word to dwell inside of us. We go to God in prayer. All these spiritual disciplines are, are a means in which we feed our new heart. And as we feed the new heart, the fruit of the spirit begins to, 
manifests itself. And the more we feed the new heart, the less we're feeding the old heart. And the less the old heart starts dying, the more the old heart starts dying off. So we can't just train us or train ourselves to do better. It's a work of the Spirit, just like salvation. And we can't just agree to disagree with the flesh or with those maybe coming in espousing false teaching. We can't just say, well, let's just agree to disagree. There's areas in the Christian walk where, you know, they're non-essentials and we can have differences of opinion on it, but there are standards. There's essentials of the Christian doctrine of the truth of who Christ is and what he's done and how we can have relationship with that we cannot placate. We cannot mix up. We must stand for it. And so he's saying, just as the scripture says, cast out. Cast out the, the slave. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children, no longer children. We are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. So he tells us to cast it out. So what can we do, right? We cast it out. We don't allow it to be, have power in our lives. It's a daily walk. Dealing with our heart of our flesh. It's a daily walk. But we don't just get comfortable with it. We know it's opposed to the things of God and the promises of God, and so we want to cast it out of our lives. False teaching, same thing. We can't just agree to disagree on the, uh, on the, the, the uh, definition of who Jesus is and his eternality. We can't just disagree to disagree. To disagree. That is an essential doctrine, that Christ is God in the flesh. We have to cast those false teachings out of the church and not let them coexist. They can't coexist. And that's what this letter is saying completely. Therefore, brothers and sisters, right, the conclusion of the matter, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Those of us who are in Christ, we are children of the free woman. Look at this. Hopefully you can see that. You guys see that okay? This is just a a good table to understand, kind of summarize what we're talking about today. What Paul's doing in this allegory is he's demonstrating the old covenant through Hagar and Ishmael. The old covenant is the law, right? A demonstration of God's holiness, what we must do to, to earn favor with him. We know we fall dramatically short, and so we're in bondage to the law because all it does is shows us our lack and inability to be able to keep it. Hagar, the slave. The flesh, trying to help God out. Versus Sarah, the free woman. And so we see the new covenant. Instead of the law, there's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. A gift given to us by God through what Jesus has done. Ishmael, conceived after the flesh, right? This is the humanity uh, trying to, to help God out to do good things, conceived after the flesh. And then Isaac, Abraham's 100 years old, Sarah's barren all these years, but yet God is faithful, conceived miraculously. And then the old covenant, earthly Jerusalem, in bondage under the law. And then God shows us through the new covenant, through what Christ has done, the heavenly Jerusalem, that is our inheritance, that will be our dwelling place. For because of what God has done. 
So he gives one more illustration for the argument as to why all of us this morning need to reject self-righteousness and religious works and how good we can be and trust in Christ's accomplished work alone. It is only through him that his grace can be applied to you. It is only through him that you can be a children, a child of the free woman and inherit the heavenly Jerusalem that is to come. And so the battle remains. Verse 29, but just as then the children born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. And that's our application this morning. Shall you take a few moments this as we sing and examine your life? Ask the Spirit to reveal to you what are the things that you need to cast out in your life? What are the things you're holding on to? What? Well, I'll let that be between you and the Spirit. But it was a it was a good good um, study for me this week. I want you to know that. It's, I had to repent of a few things and be reminded of a few things. How so easily I can default to just doing chores and doing tasks and feeling like in those tasks I'm okay. I need to drive that old flesh out of my life. Do the things that God has given me in my life. The church, the word, the spirit of God, fellow believers to help me feed the new heart so that I can drive out a slave and walk more consistently with the legacy, the inheritance that our our God has given us. Drive out the slave of her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. They cannot coexist. Ultimately, that's what Paul is saying. You can't have works and grace. It's either one or the other. The slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. I hope that's the case for you today. And if it's not, I pray that today you would abandon hope in all else, that you would turn and trust in Christ and his accomplished work alone so that you too can be added into this inheritance that's to come, that you too could be a child of the free woman. Father God, we come before you and ask that you would um, just take this, um, these teachings, Lord, and apply it to our hearts, God, through this, your power of your spirit, that this would be more